Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Gosh, it has been ages. Nice to see your face. You too, man. It has been a while. I was thinking about it, and it's probably been about five weeks since the last time we spoke, and a lot has happened in that time. Yeah, I just realized actually our listeners have been on Zoom with us right now, so they won't be able to see your face, but he looks well and rested, guys, so you'd be happy to know that <laughs> as we near the end of school year. A very long year. What's been happening, mate? At school at the moment, what are we doing? Preparing to go to Canberra. There's nothing like preparing to take 67 students through an airport and away from home for a week. For a lot of them, it's maybe the first camp that they've ever been on because they wouldn't have gone on once since a year three. So stress levels are peaking at the minute, but it will all be fine once we get off the tarmac in the airport. And it'll be really exciting as well once we get there. I'll be in Canberra, but I won't actually get to see you. The listeners don't know Shy actually lives there, but our camp is planned with military precision. So I don't think our paths no, are going to cross. Rory, that's devastating, but that's okay. <laughs> I understand you are 67 and year six students probably don't want to hear from me. So I understand that. What else has been happening? A couple of really nice things on a personal front. I got awarded a fellowship in school to some professional development next year in the area of instructional coaching. So I was very, very happy about that. It was a goal I'd set myself for next year and I was really happy to achieve it. And then randomly enough, a second positive thing in the academic space, I logged on to my university emails to a sort out my graduation tickets and found out that I got a chancellor's commendation letter for my scores in the last 30 units of my master's degree, which was totally unexpected because I've never won or got an award like that before. So I was chuffed. Well, congratulations, mate, on multiple fronts. That's very exciting news. I feel like I'm kicking goals and I know that you've been kicking a few yourself. So what have you been doing? <laughs> I survived the TEDx Canberra experience and at some point, hopefully in the near future, the video will be released and I'll be able to share it with everyone who's listening and yourself. But it went well. I've sort of walked away feeling pretty satisfied with my performance. So yeah. Was there a prompter? I didn't actually ask you this. Was there a prompter for you? No. So there was a screen, obviously, which was a mirror screen of the presentation, but okay. uh, no teleprompter or anything like that. It was all memorized. Wow, that makes it extra impressive. Yeah. So if you could sum up the experience in one word, how would you describe it? I feel like the word epic comes yeah. to mind. It was huge on many layers. I've written about this and blogged and my recent newsletter went out about kind of digging deeper into this and it challenged me on multiple levels. But you know, I believe that in challenge, we get our greatest growth. So I'm now relishing all that growth, I think. I actually read your newsletter last week where you reflected upon strategies that helped get you through what was obviously a really challenging thing to prepare for. I haven't actually mentioned this to you at all, but I love the way that you broke down the, the experience, like the preparation experience into five usable strategies. I think that'd be really helpful for anybody that's preparing for a any kind of public presentation, whether it's like a best man speech or whatever it is. So if you're performing any public speaking, make sure you sign up to Shai's newsletter and go back and check that one out. Cheers, Matt. And like, you know, we often talk about strategies here under the umbrella of self-regulated learning. And I, d- I took my identity as a learner into that whole experience yeah. in Canberra. And I was constantly thinking about how I was self-regulating that learning process throughout the whole experience. And that included developing my knowledge of new strategies to help me 
bring about my success in that experience. And so it was only fair in the reflections that I was like, oh, well, I've developed some of these strategies that some of them were new and some of them not new. We always talk about explicit strategy instruction. I was like, how can I make these strategies explicit for others who might benefit from it? And have you got one that maybe you didn't know before that you felt like that was something that really helped me and I maybe didn't anticipate that it would? Yeah, yeah. Converting nervous energy into excitement was something that I, I, when I was digging into the fear of public speaking and I was reading up about different strategies, most of them were pretty, I guess, expected. And I was like, okay, I'm, Generic. Kind of, I'm not finding they're really helping me, but yeah. Simple reframe of I was aware of my nervous energy and for the sake of a better word, like my anxiety around public speaking and just that simple reframe of going, okay, I, I'm recognizing this energy, but rather than calling it nervous energy, I'm going to call it excitement. And that reframe in itself changed the way that I then responded to the energy itself because suddenly it became more about adrenaline for good than adrenaline for evil. All right. Yeah. So you're changing maybe those maladaptive thoughts to lead to improvements in your thinking and your behavior, which kind of is a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Do you want to give us a bit of a quick review of episode nine? Because yeah. this is a two-parter. This is the second part. Yeah, so in episode nine, we we touched on the need to rethink the word failure or failing. And uh, yeah, that was drawing on my experience with a range of educators who have shared with me almost a negative response when they hear the word failure. And so as a result, we were talking about failure and, and specifically a theory called attribution theory, which is how we explain the cause of success and failure. And what we wanted to do with this episode was really get into how we might actually rewire or retrain the way we attribute those causes to success and failure. And I guess before we get into that, I wanted to just mention that in the nature of, I think there's almost two steps. One is that we want to rewire our relationship with failure. And that is, failing is not a bad thing. And I wrote this down in our notes, Rory, that, and this is a Buddhist saying that I've come across multiple times that I really like, but the arrow that hits the bullseye is the result of 100 misses. And this just kind of supports my thinking, which is failure is, is a part of the learning process. And when we accept failure as part of that learning process, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's actually becomes an essential component of making progress. What really is important, which relates to the general article that we spoke about in episode nine, is how we interpret the failure post-failure, if that makes sense. So once we have established that, okay, this is failure, and we can believe that it's essential or not, that's up to us. But there is a second step, which is how do we explain the cause of that failure? And that really is what we're talking about when we talk about attributing that failure to something, whether it be an internal or an external, a controllable or an uncontrollable source. In this this episode, we're really keen to get a little bit into the, the pragmatics for how we can actually retrain our own attributions, but also the way our students are attributing their success and failure. Yep. And I suppose tied into attribution theory, there is, I suppose, an intervention, you would call it, called attributional retraining, which is essentially supporting students or younger people or even ourselves to take the thoughts and feelings the thoughts that we have maladaptive thoughts about behavior so things that are maybe not self-serving an example might be attributing failure in an assessment to your ability something that is stable over time and there's not really a lot that you can do to change that thing and it's internal it's something that is like essentially part of us 
So attributional retraining supports people through a process to change those maladaptive thoughts, which ultimately should change our feelings and then our behaviors post that learning experience. And so most of the research that I've sort of come across, and there's a really great review of attributional research I found, which is called The Power of Asking Why, Attributional Retraining Programs for Classroom Teachers. I thought this was really good, and I'll link it in the notes, because it takes attributional retraining research, and it actually clarifies how it can be applicable for classroom teachers who may not necessarily be research, because most of the attributional retraining research is done by researchers, maybe in a laboratory setting, of which most teachers are not. But there's a lot of principles from attributional retraining that we can build into our conversations with students to help us help them develop more positive attributions, especially in the face of failure. So you're going to talk us through, Rory, how to essentially retrain. So when we fail or even when we succeed, how to retrain that explanation process, how we then explain the cause yeah. from maladaptive, I think was the word you used, to yep. be more positively serving uh, for learning. Especially if you, know, if you see failure as just one step in the process to success, then what happens post-failure is going to be very important to make progress from that what is ultimately a disappointing result for you and whatever it is that you're trying to be successful in. And so I try to do this a lot in schools. There is research, even things like early Carol Dweck research that revolves around effort and focusing on effort. This is where her book Mindset, which I read years ago, it focused on this. So I started to try to do this in terms of how I use my language, maybe about five or six years ago. But over that time, and since I've done more learning, I've restructured the process of attributional retraining into three steps. And if I have it as three steps, I can apply it in different subjects and in different instances, depending on how I need to use it, if that makes sense. So essentially, step one would be you need to elicit information from students regarding how they feel about a specific learning experience. So it could be like an assessment that they've done. And that can happen in multiple ways. You could have a learning conversation, or if you don't have time to facilitate the learning conversation, you could do a reflection, two or three specific questions that all students have to fill out. And they might be questions around like, how do you feel about your result? Why do you think that you achieved this result? And so it applies for people who've been really successful as well. You get an insight into how they're thinking about the experience that they've just had. And then if you want to even start getting them to think about what to do next, you might ask another question around what learning behaviors or strategy could you use to make improvements in the future? But that's taking it one step further. You're not just eliciting the information at that stage. So step one is eliciting information from them. Step two is sitting with the students who require support to make the necessary attributions or shift their maladaptive thoughts. So you almost have to act like a coach in that instance. Uh, and that might be where you highlight areas where effort could have improved uh, the outcome that they had. Effort is a really broad term, I think. And so you could have things like attentional focus. You can apply extra effort there. Time commitment, how much time you spent working on something. 
seating choices is a big one in primary school. So where you sit and how you then use your time when you're sitting in that spot. And even things like home learning completion, did they do all of the tasks that they needed to do in order to learn the required material? And so identifying ways that they can exert more effort or even strategy choices that they can make, like, oh, did you check all of your calculations in maths? Or did you reread and edit in writing? That then, step two, starts to turn into like a goal-setting sequence where you're suggesting things that they could do in the future in order to be more successful. So they've attributed to a controllable thing. And then they're deciding that that's the thing that they're then going to work on as a goal. Can I clarify, Rory? I'm going to use the university context just because it's fresh in my mind. But a university student who's just got a distinction on an assessment. Yep. And for this particular student, a distinction is a fail for them. So just keep in mind that a distinction might be a success for for one. But for this particular student, they've interpreted the distinction as a fail for them because they actually Mm -hmm. wanted a high distinction and they didn't get it. So my first step is to elicit how they're feeling about it. So I'm like, yep. okay, I might say to the student, hey, you know, so talk to me, uh, you know, what, what's making you upset about this distinction? And they're saying to me, you know, Shai, my teacher didn't explain the instructions correctly. Yep. What's my role then? They go, I'm not their teacher in this instance, let's say, but their teacher didn't explain the instructions properly. So then you would, I would automatically be skipping to step two here, which is, you know, like you're identifying what. The attribution there is to do with something that is outside of their control. You could take that back into their control and encourage them or ask them what they could have done about it in that instance. So if you're a student, what could they have done in that instance? Yeah. So in that moment, they're obviously they're blaming their failure, yeah. their perceived failure on an external, external. source, right? The teacher, yeah. Yeah. which as you mentioned, is outside of their control. And so yeah. what it sounds like what we're trying to do in this conversation is to help them go from outside of their control to inside their circle of control. It's like it's refocus them on what they could have done during the learning process and what they might do moving forward during the learning process to make sure this doesn't happen in the future as well. Yeah. Uh, In which case it might be seeking clarification of instructions uh, against marking criteria. It might be Asking asking peers even. Yeah. So it helps seeking behaviours outside of the teacher as well, just for that clarity. I know in some universities you're allowed to submit drafts. So maybe, again, bringing it into your circle of control, submitting a draft and getting feedback on that if you can, things like that. Sometimes you even need to drill down further into being really explicit in, as in like how could you make contact with a university professor if you wanted to? Because someone then might say, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. Yes. So you're constantly getting to drill down further and further and further until there is a layer of accountability which they can then accept i suppose so it sounds like at the essence of attributional retraining is we're trying to change that interpretation of failure or success from uncontrollable causes to controllable causes yep and ideally from relatively stable causes to unstable causes meaning that they're things that we can change so they're not just things that are in our control but they're things that we could change that are within our control and that's at the heart of what we're trying to do with our learners is to rewire that interpretation. And I think in order to rewire, I have then what I would consider to be a step three that I do with my students, which is like really valuable for younger students, which is if you're trying to shift attributions and 
they start to do things that are more positive based on the attribution, like they exert more effort or they use a better strategy in the future, that you start to highlight that to them where that's been successful in order to get them to repeat that thing. So if they've been successful and they've spent a bit of extra time or they've chosen a better seat, then you can highlight the academic achievement, if any, that has come from that and start to ask them about how it makes them feel. There might be some pride associated with that, which is like the affective, the feeling that comes along with it. And that can often be useful to continue to exert that behavior. And then you can make further positive attributions off the back of that. It's time, Rory, for On The Reg. And I want to quickly just get a sense from you, you know, just an example maybe for how you're self-regulating the way you attribute success and failure in your own life. I'm going to keep mine very brief, but I am currently preparing for a half marathon and I am really trying to log, being very particular about my training that I'm doing. I'm following a program. So that could be a, a strategy, I suppose, managing my heart rate to a T. And I have noticed massive benefits in my fitness. So it's now taking me a longer period of time to get my heart rate up. And I'm having to run at a faster pace in order to get the heart rate up. So I'm observing a massive change, a positive change. And it's very easy for me to attribute that to things that are internal, stable. And that is actually a massive motivating factor for me. So that's really, really, really encouraging me to like push on for the next five weeks. So being able to see the benefits, the fruits of my labor has been really, really helpful for my motivation. Fantastic. And I guess from my end, uh, in terms of how I'm self-regulating, in terms of attributions, I think maybe maybe the way that I reflected on TEDx is a, a really useful one because I know when I did my open mic night audition, yeah. the way I definitely had a perception of failure on the back of that, that audition and was originally attributing that, even though it was quite negative, was a trip, trying to attribute that as much as I can to my strategy and effort. And so what I did was moving forward was try and develop those strategies which I took into my TEDx Canberra spiel and I think they paid off. So what I really had worked on was rewiring, moving from a defensive response, which was my initial response to a much more adaptive learner um, positioned response. And I think that was the the game changer. So and we learned about how beneficial that was for you at the start of the conversation. Wait and see, wait and see the video and then you'll, <laughs> you can make it. I'm, I'm actually very excited to see the video. I'll be honest, very excited. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. And if you have any questions and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels which is Twitter and Instagram at ed to self reg as always to you and everyone else out there. Keep regulating.